Welcome to a special instant replay edition of the Mike Drop, the official podcast of the Dallas Sports Commission. Kevin Sullivan here. While Sports Commission Executive Director Monica Paul and her team take a well-deserved break for a few weeks, of course, after that big news about the FIFA 2026 World Cup coming to our area, we're going to play some of our favorite interviews from the first 69 episodes of the Mic Drop. This week, we bring you three true legends of basketball. First, we hear from Mavericks legend Rolando Blackman on the 1980 Olympic boycott. A lot of heartbreak there for Roe. Then we talk women's hoops with Hall of Famer Nancy Lieberman. And finally, we hear from Mavericks head coach Jason Kidd. We hope you'll enjoy hearing them talk about their lives in basketball. Monica, Next Level, Marcus Carr, and I will be back with a whole new show on August 4th. In the meantime, enjoy this mic drop instant replay. Having heard all of that, welcome to the mic drop. What are you most proud of, and what do you think? Uh, do you think today's generation understands how elite you were as an NBA player? I don't know. I don't. I don't get that uh, at all. But the important factor for me is that I get a, I get an opportunity to anytime I get a chance to speak on it and just uh, let them know and understand how the things and things were a little bit different as far as the rules and regulations, physicality, the actual the actual punch a guy in the face and actually just get a technical for it. You know what I mean? And just take a free throw. <laughs> but it's it's just a hand checking, all that kind of stuff. But I, I just want the, them to know and understand that all those years and years and years of practices, you know, when you talk about practicing, you're talking about three to three to five hours of practicing. So you and the rim are one. There's no place on the rim, which, which I did not know exactly what was happening. There was a scratch on something. I could see it exactly what was happening with that kind of a thing you must be able to hit shots even with the hand in the face if you can hit shots like this if you can hit a shot like this and what i'm saying about that is to hit it not to not not because you're it's okay it's just it's just a matter of just getting the game going but uh i'm enjoying the time now i'm enjoying the time and i knew that i played in a great great time and was elite during those times and i was very very happy with with what's happening and I'm happy to be here now. I'm still a, I'm still a young fella a little bit. I'm not going to run up and down, Kevin, but I can still shoot it a little bit. <laughs> I, I don't doubt that for a minute. Now, Wednesday night in Memphis, we had more Luca magic with the... Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, this was a mic drop moment for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, off balance, off one leg, leaping, lunging from beyond the three-point line to hit a game winner at the buzzer uh, to, steal, uh, to steal a win. Uh, Talk a little bit about Luca and what you're looking for from the Mavericks here in this final push to the playoffs. So no, I'm 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 so excited every time I watch a basketball game and checking it out too. I do more stuff on the corporate side now than I do on the basketball side. Uh, but the, the thing when you're watching Luca, you understand the greatness of a, of a player who has control of all his skills and understands that and is a true elite player in the league today. When you talk about one through four, what top top four, top five, you got to be able to throw Luca in there simply because he has full control of the game with his shooting, passing, rebounding, making teammates better, and also has the spirit of a great player, understanding that at the end of a basketball game and during the game, that he can make an impact. He can make the right play to being able to get that done. And you can see him when you're watching him at the end of basketball games, how he 
goes toward the ball, gravitates toward the ball, and more often than not is right there to make the play because of the belief in his skills and the opportunity comes that he can make it every time, which exactly is, is exactly what we've been seeing all the way around. But, hey, Kev, when you talk about going down the rest of the season now and the, the things, I'm, I'm excited to see everybody else get involved as far as that's concerned. I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm in excited about the, the Maxi Cleavers to being able to hit shots that, that, they, that they get when they're wide open in the corner because Luke and Porzingis are on the other side getting double teamed all over the place. So everybody raising the level, uh, it's going to be interesting to see if they can do that and, and have the opportunity to impact the playoffs when they get there. Because at the end of the day, it's not going to be about Luca and Porzingis. They're going to get double teamed. And if they get single coverage, you're going to see those guys go off and, and be the best they can be. But everybody, all the Hardaways, all the Jalen Brunsons, all the, all when we talk about Dwight Powell and the new JJ Reddick, hit those threes, JJ. When you have all those guys on the other side, those are the guys that are going to make the, the win happen by being consistent and taking advantage of the greatness of those players on the court. So, Ro, you mentioned uh, your focus kind of on the corporate side uh, these days. So tell us a little bit about your role with the Mavericks and, and what your day-to-day -day is, what you're up to these days. Um, matter of fact, these days I'm, I'm up to keeping myself safe and okay. making sure that I, that I stay away from people who, who, who have not got their vaccines and who don't wear a mask. So that's the main thing for me right now. But if, if you are getting your vaccine and if you are wearing your mask, then the opportunity comes for me to be able to interact and, and do some different things as far as time is concerned. But my time right now with the Mavs is on the corporate side. I, I, really, I really get an opportunity over the past few years to, to being able to, to interact with, with uh, community development, uh, season ticket holders, corporate events. So, so a lot of times my day would be just, just as, the game, as the game is on, I'm, I'm going right there before the game and I'm having an opportunity to talk to, to, to corporate tees, corporate situations that are going on all throughout. I get an opportunity to, as the game starts to go up into the different suites and have an opportunity to talk to, to many, many different businesses that are, that are conjoined with the Mavericks or want to, to be sponsors or have an opportunity to, to, to just get out there and uh, infuse myself with the fans walking up and down the arena. You'll see me walking up and down the arena or, or and, and after the games, of course, uh, the next day you'll have community development situations that are happening all over Dallas, Fort Worth. And I can be a part of that with, with what's going on. So it's just a, it's just an opportunity, DISD, speaking to kids, having the opportunity to be around and, uh, and just infuse the time and talk about the things that have, that have happened throughout the time, whether it's the game now or the game before, or we're talking about corporate opportunities that are there. I'm uh, I, I keep myself involved in, in that in that realm because I get a chance to go home at night now. Well, Ro, I am very, very thankful for for your philanthropic and community initiatives and really engaging. It's very impactful. You were very helpful uh, in a huge part of the NCAA men's final four. Uh, when it was here in 2014, the Super Bowl before that in 2011, uh, our women's final four in 2017. And don't worry, uh, 2023, we're hosting a women's final four again, uh, division one, two and three championships. So I'll be knocking on your door. So just go ahead and make sure to, to answer the phone and answer those texts when we call upon you there. I will. I'm, I will. I'm ready. Anytime you get to interact, it's a wonderful situation for people to see us as we are. We're just we're just human beings, and the opportunity to, to 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 really be a part of the community has always been a big big focus of mine, and I've always tried to stay involved all throughout every community here in Dallas Fort Worth. So you were one of the first generations of players who actually stayed in Dallas. You you played for uh, 
you're from New York. You finished your NBA career with the Knicks. You could have stayed there after completing that career. Why Dallas? Uh, why is Dallas home 41 years later? Listen, Dallas is a fantastic place. I, you know, something we all have our challenges and the times that, that, that we come through. But the important factor is that the people of Dallas is what uh, made it fantastic for me. Having the opportunity to have many, many uh, good friends here, many, many corporate people, many, many uh, opportunities to, to, to just join the fabric of what Dallas is, helping in the community, being a part of what's what's going on in the basketball schools, the camps, the day to day, and just the fabric of Dallas is, is all about throughout the time it's, it's grown so so very much as far as the people are concerned you can see now that there's so many different people from all kinds of different backgrounds uh, uh, coming to Dallas and being a part a part of Dallas you can see the changes in the diversity and also the uplifting in Dallas which is fantastic from, from when I first got here to where it is now the growth of inclusion and really having the opportunity for people to understand and to come together has been the big focus for me and it's been something that I can see and feel and understand the changes that have happened here through all the people of different backgrounds that are coming here and melding together and uh, and living life here in Dallas Fort Worth. Bro you came to the United States as what a third grader I believe from Panama City. Uh, year old seven year old I was up in I was here yep definitely. You, you walked New York. You walked you walked to a park with a soccer ball, had no idea what, what this basketball thing was. Uh, and, and that park where you started playing uh, is now in, in the East Flatbush section of Brooklyn is now Rolando Blackman Park. Uh, I, I don't know if, if, if uh, how can you summarize your, your journey from those humble beginnings being cut in seventh, eighth, ninth grade from your team to ending up in the College Basketball Hall of Fame in a multiple time uh, all-star and all the other things that you've accomplished in life. You know something, you know how I sum it up? I sum it up in care and the love that I received. That's exactly what I received. As, as uh, Upon landing here in the United States with my family running around all over the place, didn't see my mom and dad for three years after that. But during those times, I had the opportunity to have great people around me, not only my grandmother and rest of the family, which was, which was tremendous, but also the school system was ready because uh, I came to this country, hablando puro español. No hablo la lengua de español, no lengua de inglés. Es, es un poquito, un poquito de inglés. But I, I went to remedial reading classes in the morning. I was at class at six o'clock in the morning, and when school started at nine, I started regular classes so that I could understand English. The boy went to the store. Why is there a dot at the end of that? Why is the T big on that? How do I do? Just all the things that that I had to get accomplished in the speaking and the understanding of what would carry me forward in the future. Coming home with my grandmother sitting me in front of the television and watching some Walter Cronkite stuff and say, this is what's happening here. This is what's going on. And just grooming me. And, and also the people in the, the people in the neighborhood, that, that was big for me also because they were carrying the same flag and helping all of us kids move forward, ingraining us with the things that we needed to flourish. If you had the time, took the time to listen and apply yourself. That's, that's the key. There are people around who have tried to help you but you got to listen and apply it to what you see and what you know to be true to be, move yourself forward and not follow a crowd. Because I, I never follow a crowd. I don't follow, follow a crowd, especially if you're going the wrong direction. I, I always veer left and I'm off that highway. So it's a big deal. The, the country was ready for me and I got lots of help from people. So I, I would equate it, Kevin, to the people and the love that I got that, that, helped, me, that helped me traverse and move forward.
What do you think? There, there, there has never been a more competitive person who, who played for the Dallas Mavericks than you, or maybe played in the NBA. The fire, frequently I'll, I'll watch a Mavericks game and at when the game ends, win or lose, the players are all hugging each other and swapping jerseys and 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 all this stuff. And I, I say to myself, Derek Harper and Rolando Blackman, we're not, we're not hugging Joe Dumars and Isaiah Thomas after a game with the Pistons or whatever example you want to give. I mean, the NBA, the players are magnificently talented. Uh, no question about it. But what do you think when you see, you know, sort of the chumminess uh, as somebody who's so competitive? Yeah, yeah. It's just, just like, like, like I said, you know, something, it's a, just a different time. And I, I just equate it to being a different time in that, in that these kids come up together playing AAU, different situations are happening, and they all come together in that kind of a fabric of, of being players and getting to know each other and understanding that kind of a thing. While I, while, while I came from being cut, seventh grade got cut, eighth grade got cut, ninth grade got cut, and it's a, and it's a fire in my belly. Even today, even today, it's, a, it's, about, it's about the competition and it's about, it's about trying to win. The important factor with me is that you get I get a chance to relax if I play for fun, which is fine. But once you start counting, Kevin, once you start counting, Kevin, somebody's going to lose. And that's not going to be me. I'm not going to let you beat me uh, at all. And that's a competitive fire that comes out once I hear that one, one, two, oh, somebody's about to. So the competitive fire is always there to being able to get that done. And I think you get a greater edge. I think you get a greater edge on your talent if you don't like the opponent. If you if you send them off, if you send them off with the foot that, that, that that's necessary and making sure that you look on the calendar and know that I'm going to play this guy again the next time and we can't be we can't be buddies because you got to elbow him sometimes and sometimes you got to elbow him in the face and that's just the way it goes. Period. And I'm not saying sorry. Well, we got about two minutes left. I, I just we, we had a great conversation with Deidre DeLilly from Toyota about the Olympics and their sponsorship of the Olympics coming up. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, 41 years ago, uh, thereabouts, you were a member, a starting guard on, on the youngest Olympic basketball team ever. Phenomenally talented team, multiple Hall of Famers on that team, including uh, Isaiah Thomas. Uh, guys like Patrick Ewing and Bill Lambeard did not make that team. Mm -hmm. uh, but you were you were the victim of a boycott uh, because of Russia's in, invasion of Afghanistan. Forty years later, forty-one years later, how do you reflect on that? What what has stayed with you from that disappointment? Yeah, look, look. All I can tell you is about the pain of what it is—the pain of coming through from another country, having the opportunity to play this wonderful basketball game in, in, a, in a great, great country. And traversing all the ups and downs, and and I, I look at that for the other athletes also. Not only for me, there's a place in time that you get an opportunity to be a part of something really special, the USA Olympic basketball team, and you make it, Kevin. You make it. You're on the team, and you have an opportunity to go represent your country and go against the other countries. And you know that's a ravenous thing for all the guys that are there. But it's it's a painful situation. And I know that we're American citizens, or I know that we love America, but we also want to know that don't use us as a pawn to being able to get a point across somewhere else when that point does not really help the people that are, that are there in, in that argument that you have, whatever it is politically. All you're doing at the end of the day is you're really, Kevin, you're really hurting the athletes that have come to that finite point of their talent and are there and you take all that away every four years. 
and th and there you go. The, the athletes are the one that get hurt in the in the back and forth of, of being a pawn in the game. Well, Ro, this has been such a thrill to have you on on the mic drop. Uh, continued success to you. All the best to, to you yep. and your family. Thank you. Uh, what a joy it is to be joined by Nancy Lieberman. I don't know where to begin. Pioneer in women's basketball from Old Dominion to the Olympics, WNBA. Pioneer as an executive uh, in sports as a woman with the Detroit Shock. Pioneer as a coach, head coach of the Dallas Legends of the G League. Only the second woman to be an assistant coach of an NBA team with the Sacramento Kings. Pioneer as a broadcaster. We could go on and on. But where Nancy Lieberman quite possibly has had her biggest impact is in philanthropy and, and looking out for those who are less fortunate. Uh, we're going to get to the Mavericks and the Wings, Nancy. But first, you came here in 1980, like me, for the Dallas Diamonds. I came for the Mavericks. When I would tell people I worked for the Mavericks, they asked me if that was women's basketball. So you were more famous than the Mavericks in 1980. Uh, you came in 1980, 41 years ago, and stayed, and have had this enormous impact in the community. Why? Uh, it wasn't It wasn't by uh, design. I, I came here to play basketball because that's what made me feel good about myself. It gave me a chance to go to that next phase of my career, which is to be a professional athlete. Uh, quite frankly, I needed the money because, uh, you know, I grew up, I didn't have a lot. Um, then going to college, you're just scrimping by as a, as a collegiate athlete, even a champion athlete. And so Dallas changed my trajectory. Uh, and I'm very grateful to, to Dave Olmstead, who was the, the president of the Dallas Diamonds, to signing me, um, to giving me just a, a little pocket money, if you will, and, and just to grow as a human being. So basketball, I was laser focused on, on trying to be a great basketball player and trying to win a championship for my team. And all these years later, the, your impact on the philanthropy side is incredible. The, we've got the, the 10th anniversary of the Dream Gala coming up on April 29th. Uh, NancyLiebermanCharities.org people. So go, go sign up. Uh, the mic drop, by the way, Nancy, made a donation this morning to sponsor two kids uh, at your upcoming uh, summer basketball camps that you and TJ do. So, so people, you got to support NancyLiebermanCharities.org. She does in incredible work. So tell us about the Dream Ball coming, coming up on April 29th. You raised over a million dollars last year. It's virtual this year, but tell, tell us what you hope to accomplish this year. Well, we were lucky last year because we were able uh, February 17th to, to have our Dream Ball Gala in person with, you know, six, 700 uh, people there and, and raise money. We raise money to give money. That's just what we do. And we, we give it to the underserved community. Um, as you know, we, we've sent 70 high school seniors to college. We stay in touch with them. We help write resumes. We network them to jobs. Uh, they have to give us, they have to have skin in the game. We connect them to mentors in their respective, you know, college cities. And they have my cell and my email and they have to stay in touch with me. Uh, that's part of the deal. Uh, the other thing is we're now embarking on opening uh, our 98th 
dream court around the country. We have over 4.2 million children on our courts. And I'm gonna to get to your question about the, the virtual event on the 29th. But for us, you know, we started doing these uh, dream courts because that was a safe place for me growing up. You could no longer make fun of me, bully me, um, disparage me as a, a girl playing against young men, you know, predominantly black guys. So our courts were a melting pot of bringing people from, you know, different elks of life together. Over the last 10 years, it's become pop-up classrooms because we've added STEM, we've added financial literacy, we've added a civic engagement and career readiness. We, we now offer programs to our Dream Court sites. And you know, the Boys and Girls Clubs, PAL, Park and Rec, they always need programming. We offer that to them for free. Uh, our Kids and Cops program, uh, we've done over 40 courts trying to unite uh, communities, children with local law enforcement uh, in love and kindness, respect. So we're doing a lot with, uh, you know, like I said, career readiness. So why is this so important? We are going to have a physical dream ball September 11th and our golf tournament on September 13th. But we, we moved the date because, you know, we, we wanted to make sure with COVID and the pandemic that we could safely, following protocol, you know, put people in the building that we love and care about. We didn't want to lose sight of our friends. You know, we're only as good as the people who donate to us. And, and thank you for what you did uh, last night as well. So we decided we were going to do a virtual event. So on Thursday, the 29th, this is going to be the pregame, okay, leading up to the game. I love the game, okay, because the game is where we win, and we win in life, and we win by helping others who need us. So we are going to do, we have a VIP. Uh, it's hosted by uh, Jay Harris from ESPN Sports Center, my, my brother from Old Dominion. And uh, Jay and I are going to do a VIP half-hour show. Uh, to our, you know, big sponsors and donors. And then we're going to do a main show from six uh, to seven. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fast. It's go you're going to laugh. You're going to smile. You're going to see the kids. You're going to see some of the celebrities who have been a part of us in the past, from Tony Romo to the legendary singer, uh, Sam Moore, to Bo Derek, uh, Billy Crystal, Winona Judd, Toby Keith. Uh, Deion Sanders, Rob Sampson, Ice Cube, my boss, the big three. So you're going to see some really fun stuff going on. Then we have some special guests that are, are going to um, uh, appear. And we're really excited about that. And that will, uh, that will be a touch point of hopefully happiness. It'll make, like I said, people smile. I see the clips of some of the folks uh, that have uh, affected the lives of young people. These kids going to college, these kids who, who have backpacks with school supplies for a year, uh, the kids that we've given over 2000 iPads to, they're just our family. And the other part of my hype here, thanks for letting me hype my charity, but 92% of all money raised goes to programming. 8% goes to administrative uh, cost. It's a business. Charities are businesses. You got to have people running them. So on some level, we have to, you know, do that. But 92%, that, that to me is 
what makes me most proud that we we really are you know we're, we're we understand what the goal is and the goal is to take money that people have entrusted us with and give it to people who need it yeah, i just wish you could get some big names to uh to help you out with uh with this every year the 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 best college point guard wins the nancy lieberman award what would it mean to you if a girl a young girl who started at one of your dream courts ended up being presented the nancy lieberman award as the best college point guard that's a great question nobody's ever asked me that before um that would make me really happy because it would bear out that a, a young girl playing in sports you know before she gets to junior high there's 80 percent you know, less likely chance of having unwanted pregnancies, getting involved in, in gang activity or drugs or alcohol. That would say that sports has put you on the right trajectory for education, for networking, uh, to excel, exceed. And um, I would love to have that moment to give somebody a, a hug who came off of our courts. And it's funny you said that because many years ago, uh, Andrea Riley, you know, you probably know Andrea as an All-American at Oklahoma State, first round pick of the LA Sparks and the WNBA. When I got here in 1980, when you got here, her dad is Roosevelt Riley. You know Rosie, who's Jerry Jones' bodyguard? Oh, wow. And that's right. his wow. daughter. So I've known her since, well, I knew her, you know, when she was born and held her. And I made a pinky bet with her. I don't know if this is fair, but we made a pinky bet going into her senior year that she was going to win. Uh, and I don't vote. Let me just say that, uh, just in case Tony Tony Faye is on this call. Uh, <laughs> I didn't slide it or slant it uh, her way. But Andrea Riley ended up winning the Point Guard of the Year Award. And it was one of the most incredible moments. I think we both had tears in our eyes handing her that award because I had known her her whole life. So yeah, it, they're, they're, they would be spectacular. It would be so blessed to be able to give that award uh, to someone who came off a dream court. We are so happy to be joined by Jason Kidd, Maverick's first round draft pick way back in 1994, when he was the NBA co-rookie of the year with Grant Hill, who snuck in and to share the award with Jay Kidd, took the Nets to the finals in 2002 and three, Broke through with the Mavericks winning a championship in 2011. How great was that? Coached the, coached the Nets for a year, Milwaukee for a few years. Entered the NBA, the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame a few years ago. Won a championship two years ago as the top assistant to Frank Vogel in L.A. I'm not going to mention uh, what the kid did and <laughs> some of Jason's other rap exploits from the mid-90s, but you can find them on YouTube. Ain't no party like a J Kid party. Welcome back to Dallas, Jason Kidd. Thank you. Thank you. For the third you, time. Uh, for the third time. Now, uh, you're back to be the head coach of the Mavericks. You made a reference in your press conference about what you learned in LA under Frank Vogel, winning a championship, coaching that great team as a top assistant that will make you a better head coach this time around. What did you mean by that? Well, I think, uh, you know, first I jumped into coaching uh, two seconds after I retired from playing. And so um, this being in L.A. under Frank uh, gave me the opportunity to see what the assistant coaches actually go through, 
um, how they prepare things for the head coach. And then also just understanding Frank's demeanor, um, what was important to, to coach, um, you know, communication, um, being able to agree, to disagree, but being a unit once we left the coach's office, uh, when we took the floor that we were a unit. And so those type of things really uh, opened my eyes. And I said, you know, if I ever got an opportunity to, to be a head coach, that I would borrow those things from Frank. What, what will you borrow from the great Dick Mata, who was, who, who, who coached you, uh, who in my view belongs in the hall of fame. You know, he lost a lot of games at the very end of his career in Denver and Sacramento. And that, that may have worked against his hall of fame chances, but talk a little bit about coach Mata and what you learned from him. That offense was, 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 was pretty strong. Yes. When you talk about the, the great coach Mata, who I truly believe should be in the hall of fame, um, not because of the losses. I, I think sometimes we forget how great he was uh, to take on different projects and make them better. Um, and so you look at his offense, uh, you know, I enjoyed playing in his offense because I was a passer and we had two dominant scorers in, in Jamal and Jimmy. And so it fit those guys perfectly. Um, but also I think as a coach, you know, I thought Dick uh, talked shot straight told you when you weren't doing something right. Um, he asked, you know, for you to play hard. And uh, he, he was just very honest. And he was a father figure, um, you know, off and on the floor. And so um, when you uh, talk about what he did here as a Mavs coach, if I can do it, just a little of what he accomplished here, uh, hopefully that means I've had a great coaching career here in Dallas. You know, so many Hall of Fame players like yourself have, have either not been interested in coaching or haven't done very well. Larry Bird is an exception. There are some exceptions. Why do you why do you think that is that the Hall of Fame players haven't turned out to be that that many of them haven't turned out to be great coaches? And, and, and why do you want to coach? Yeah, I, I've well, one, I want to coach because I love to give back and help. You know, I, I think uh, being able to go through that journey. Um, being able to share that and help, you know, with uh, the younger generation. Uh, I had that opportunity in Milwaukee uh, with Giannis and Chris Middleton and uh, to see those guys uh, fulfill their goals of winning a championship. And so uh, as a coach, um, I've, I've seen almost everything. And so I want to help these guys put them in a position to be successful, you know, just not on the court, but off. And then I think when you talk about the Hall of Fame, sometimes we can be stubborn. Uh, sometimes uh, when you look at um, different, you see things differently, um, you, you wonder why they can't see it. And I think sometimes you just have to take that, you know, step back and everyone learns differently um, on the court, in film, uh, on the board. And so uh, you have to understand that. And uh, as a young coach, I'm learning that process. You know, Dick gave you guys the green light to start shooting three-pointers. I remember George McLeod setting records. Was he, was that a precursor in some ways to what we're seeing in the, in the NBA today? Oh, I've always thought Coach Mata was ahead of the game. And I think when he told us that day at halftime, you know, during that game, that what's the record for most uh, threes made or attempted, um, I think he knew where the game was going. Um, he knew what team he had at the time, and we took full advantage of that. Um, I didn't make a lot of threes. I might have taken a lot of threes, but <laughs> I didn't make them. 